my father-in-law has a radio station that he likes to listen to. It's in a satellite radio station and it's called Deep Tracks. And Deep Tracks only plays rock and roll music from the 60s and 70s. But it doesn't play any of the greatest hits. It plays the songs that never made it onto the airwaves, just the Deep Tracks. Well, today's uh, story from the Bible, you might call it a deep track. It's from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. Um, and it's a story that is perhaps unfamiliar to many of you, and that's okay. Jesus mentioned this story um, in the third chapter of John, but, but even still, it's a story that perhaps you've never heard before. It, it is very much a deep track. And it's kind of a strange story and a problematic story. And full disclosure, it's a snake story. That's right. I said snakes. There are snakes in this story, and these snakes make me uncomfortable. But even so, if snakes make you uncomfortable, I just want to encourage you, stick with it. This is, this is really a fabulous story from the Old Testament, and one that we should spend some time with today. So, understanding that this deep track may be unfamiliar to you, I think it would be good for us to uh, take a little time and uh, go through the story together. So, you remember that the Israelites had been in Egypt and they were delivered by Moses and, and God through the Red Sea. Well, now they are wandering around in the wilderness on their long journey to the Promised Land. And along the way, the Bible tells us that the people would complain to Moses and to God. It, it, it even says that they would, they would murmur. I like that word. They would murmur. And Moses, who was the spokesperson for God and the spokesperson for the people, would repeatedly um, instruct the people to trust in the Lord, to trust in Yahweh. And, and God um, proved time and time and time again um, that God is, is powerful and trustworthy. The Lord divided the Red Sea, and the people crossed through safely. The Lord sent manna from heaven when they were hungry in the desert. Um, God provided water from the rock at Meribah to quench their thirst. Whenever there was a need, those needs were provided for by God. And Moses simply asked that the people trust in God. And yet the people continue to complain. They continue to murmur. And I imagine that many of you have heard their complaints before. It's familiar to me, at least. Um, kind of goes like this. They would say, why have you brought us out of Egypt just to die in the desert, to die in the wilderness? They would say that, wouldn't it be better if we had just stayed in Egypt? It would even be better to be slaves than to be stuck out here in the desert. And in this particular episode, um, you might have heard, they even complained about the food. They said it tasted miserable. Hmm. I think we should read this with some charity, more charity than we, we usually do. I think we should understand this is no petty complaint. In fact, it's quite the opposite. These people are afraid. These people are desperate. 
these people have resigned themselves to life to the point that they would say it would just be better to be slaves. At least then we would be alive. Food doesn't even taste good to them anymore. Food from heaven has lost its flavor. These people are desperate and in despair. But at this point in the story, this is, this is where the story takes kind of a strange and, and I think unexpected turn, perhaps. Um, because God hears the people's complaints and murmurs. And the Lord, it says, acts in a new way. This time, no manna from heaven, no quail on the ground. That's another way um, that God would feed the people. No water from the rock. This time, it's as though God says, well, I've, I've tried the carrot with my people. Maybe now I should try the stick. See if that works. And so it says here in Scripture that the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. <sighs> Snakes. <sighs> Snakes. Did you know, um, it says here that 36 percent of Americans list snakes as their number one fear. Um, there's a name for that kind of fear. It's ophidiophobia, and it's not just an American fear, and it's not just a 21st century fear. Fear of snakes is found all over the world, and we see evidence of it at all times of history. Um, some um, evolutionary biologists have uh, have have wondered if if it's somehow part of our very DNA to be afraid of snakes. And so the people, the Israelites, seeing the power of the Lord literally slithering around their feet, they go to Moses and they confess and they say, we have sinned against you and the Lord, please ask God to take these snakes away. <laughs> Moses does what the people ask. He, he goes to God and, 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 and asks God to take the snakes away. And, and, and God says something interesting. God says to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look to it and live. And so, Moza, and so Moses made a serpent. He made it out of bronze, and he, he put it on a pole. Snakes on a pole. That image, snakes on a pole, might strike you, pardon the pun, as, as familiar. We see it every time an ambulance passes us on the road. The symbol is called caduceus, and along with the closely related rod of Asclepius, the snake on a pole symbol is found in a variety of ancient cultures, and it's often associated with medicine and healing. And I've read many ideas for why this is the case, why this symbol is associated with medicine. And, and the one I like the best goes something like this. Um, this is the best way I can explain it. If, if I were bitten by a poisonous snake, if that happened to me, the only thing that could save me, the only thing that could heal me would be antivenin, which is an antibody-rich 
serum, a medicine that is made from the venom of snakes, of the specific kind of snake that bit me. Um, to put it, put it in another way, if I were bitten by a snake, I, the snake would be the medicine that I needed. The snake is the source of healing. And so, you know, in, in a similar mode, Moses makes a bronze serpent and places it high on a pole, just like God had told him. And the people who were bitten by the snakes looked at the snake on a pole, and they were healed, it says. Well, that's our story. And I think, uh, as I said, it, it definitely is not without problems. Um, too many problems for one sermon to address, perhaps. Uh, at first, you got the idea of God punishing people with snakes, and, and that's a problem for me. It's, it's likely a problem for many of you. Um, but, you know, today there's another problem that I want to take some time and look at, and that's the manner in which God brings healing to the people. It's strange, right? Um, it feels a little dark. A little, a little bit like some kind of magic, maybe. Look at this snake on a pole and you'll be healed. That's strange. At least it's strange to me. Um, but I think, I think it makes us, it begs us to ask um, some questions. And, and one of the questions I think it's asking us is, um, why does God tell people who were bitten by snakes to gather around each other and to look at a snake? to look at this poisonous serpent on a pole in order to find healing? That is a hard question. It's a strange question, but I know someone who may be able to help us. His name is Billy Bixby, and Billy Bixby is the star character in one of my favorite books, There's No Such Thing as a Dragon. So. Uh, Billy is a young child, and um, Billy notices uh, that there is a dragon in his bedroom. Just a little dragon, but a dragon nonetheless. And so Billy tells his mother about the dragon, but his mother responds quickly and confidently, Billy, there's no such thing as a dragon. Well, Billy assumes his mother is right. After all, that's what children are supposed to do. And so Billy ignores the dragon. But the more Billy pretends that the dragon isn't there, the more the dragon grows. Soon, it's grown so much that it's sitting on the dinner table. And now the family can't even have a dinner without the dragon being there. It grows more, and now it takes up the entire living room, and the family can't even watch a TV show without the dragon showing up. It gets so big that the dragon fills every room of the house. And when the dragon stands up, the dragon lifts the house right off of the foundation and runs down the street, carrying the house with it. But even still, Billy's parents insist to Billy that there is no such thing as a dragon. Finally, Billy's had enough of it. And he stands up and he says, there is a dragon, a very big dragon. And then it says that Billy pats the dragon on the head, and immediately the dragon starts to get smaller. 
and it shrinks all the way down to the size of a kitten. And Billy says, you know, I don't mind dragons when they're this size. And he looks at his dad and says, why do you think the dragon got so big? And the dad says, I don't know, son. Maybe dragons don't like to be ignored. Unacknowledged problems, unacknowledged dragons can only grow. They will grow and grow and grow until they run off with your house. They will grow and grow and grow until it seems as though the ground is crawling with them. For the Israelites, healing cannot begin until they look at the snake. They must acknowledge their fear and their murmurings. They must identify the problem before the healing can begin. And maybe this is why that strange symbol, the caduceus, is, is seen on the side of the ambulance or the hospital building. Maybe this is the connection. When we go to the doctor, we can't just walk into the doctor's office and say, give me the medicine. Let the healing begin. No, there's a pretty crucial step that has to come before that. We have to figure out what's wrong. We have to identify what the problem actually is. Sometimes this is easy. Sometimes it's very hard. You know, um, it's hard enough these days just dealing with a virus. How much more difficult is it when you're dealing with the kind of sickness that the Israelites were? Despair, fear, despondency. Mm. It occurs to me that today is our anniversary. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I did not bring a gift, but it is. Today is our one-year anniversary. A year ago, we began worshiping on YouTube together. It's been an entire year living in this pandemic context. It's hard to believe. Some months back, responding uh, to, to this pandemic context, some of uh, my fellow um, colleagues on the staff uh, wanted to implement a new pattern for how we close out our meetings. Um, before the close of each meeting, um, before the closing prayer, and all of our meetings are on Zoom, before that moment, each staff member, one by one, is invited to offer up two words, just two words. Two words that say something personal and true about how that person feels or is living in this strange moment. Just two words. Sometimes those words, one or both, might be very joyful and lighthearted. And, and I, I enjoy that. Even if I'm having a, a bad day, I always feel a nudge of encouragement when I hear other people celebrating what's going on in their lives. But oftentimes, in fact, I would say at every staff meeting, we hear words of another kind, of another sort. Words that speak about disappointment. Words that speak about fear. Words that, that just 
wish that we could get back to normal. Words that are filled with pain. These words are our own murmurs of despair. And whenever those kinds of words are spoken, whenever someone is brave enough to say those kinds of words, something amazing happens. And I see it every time, every single time. Whenever someone shares those kinds of words, they, they, they give the two words, and then there's a moment of release. And it's as though the person is giving just a touch of that weight over to the staff. It's a powerful moment. And then the staff, 10 or 12 faces, staring back into their own computer camera, they look, and it's as though they say, without any words being spoken, it's as though they say, I see you. I hear you. I see your problem. I know it's real. You are not alone. You are not alone. And just by acknowledging the pain in our life with two words, just two words, the healing process is allowed to begin. And so I ask you today, church, what snakes do we need to put on a pole and look at? What dragons do we need to call out and pat on the head? What are your two words?